Before the break, we began looking at a passage from Romans 14 that directs how we live with one another. It's yet another piece of our larger discussion of reconciliation. Let's get back into it now. From Romans 14, here's George. To repeat, those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will confess and give praise to God. Paul continues, Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. That's Paul from Romans 14. Now, this isn't just about food or special days, of course, but about how we treat others, perhaps of weaker faith, though you or I might be that one, who are not just like us, but for whom Christ also died. Paul is saying that every person in his or her own way, is honoring God by serving him the way they do. So who are we to condemn them? They are servants of Jesus. Your tribe is going to be next to my tribe before the throne, and we will not be arguing about who had the right concepts, doctrine, polity, worship, or anything of the sort. We will be in awe before the Lamb, one in unity, glad to be side by side, adjacent in his service. Jesus desires that unity from us, honoring, safeguarding, and building each other up, 
not just when we reach heaven, but now. But we each have to confess, forgive, and then live with reconciling love for the faithful, refusing any longer to scorn or harm each other in defense of ourselves and our religious concepts. Paul says this in Titus 3, Remind the people to respect the government and be law-abiding, always ready to lend a helping hand, no insults, no fights. God's people should be big-hearted and courteous. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from all that. It was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath, and we came out of it, new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come, an eternity of life. You can count on this. I want you to put your foot down. Take a firm stand on these matters so that those who have put their trust in God will concentrate on the essentials that are good for everyone. Stay away from mindless, pointless quarreling over genealogies and fine print in the law code. That gets you nowhere. Warn a quarrelsome person once or twice, but then be done with him. It's obvious that such a person is out of line, rebellious against God. By persisting in divisiveness, he cuts himself off. That's Titus 3, 1 through 11 from The Message. We need to stop trashing each other. It doesn't matter how many religious words we use, how many scriptures we quote, how much we disagree with the religious concepts, doctrines, or practices of other believers. We do not have the right to treat them with lovelessness. In truth, we are required to treat them with love, action, to bless them. And, and let's be clear, pretending to love someone by enlightening them with sarcasm, shame, or cruel words is not love. It is sin. If Paul says we are to honor them as servants of God, even if we disagree with their concepts, doctrines, polity, worship styles, food, or other elements of how they serve God, then surely the way to love them is to care for them and protect them. This is the love, the action to bless them, which reverses and neutralizes the trashing we and others have done. And there is a covenantal beauty to it. Though we serve differently, we stand up for each other. We do not simply refuse to attack. Rather, we positively act to safeguard them,
It is just exactly what the Good Samaritan did for the wounded Jew. Treat others the way you want to be treated becomes incarnate in such intentional safeguarding and covering. We make the church and its wild variety of believers a wide, open, safe place where God is. You may have already come to this realization and already act in a loving, protecting, covenantal way toward other believers, even those quite different from yourself. If so, praise God. Keep it up. Proclaim it fearlessly. The church needs this reformation of hearts, this reconciling love of God and each other. If this is new and the attack upon others has been a part of how you defended the faith, stop it. Work to bless and safeguard them instead. Go the extra mile or two. Repent, forgive, bless, reconcile. Here are some final reflections and insights on true unity in the church. Watching denominational wars, doctrinal battles, struggles over worship forms, and all other forms of Christians behaving badly leads me to wonder aloud what it is that we should unify around, if anything. Many attempts at this have been made in the last decades, usually built upon agreed-upon doctrine, creeds, confessions, and or traditions. As smaller pieces of the whole church come together to make common cause, these are helpful. But for the whole church to be in unity, the foundation must be both more encompassing and less contractual. Perhaps what Jesus taught could provide that solid common ground. With any text as large and content-rich as the New Testament is, one could probably pick any of a hundred themes and construct a concept out of it and proclaim it to be the central message of Jesus. And even knowing this, and being aware of all that I've just cautioned against, I'll dare to suggest that Jesus' key teaching is just exactly what has been addressed above. Reconciliation. The reconciliation of people to God and to each other. This is salvation and the beginning of the covenant that he offered It is this reconciliation which he taught and that he called us to, which is the foundation of our unity. Well, there is a statement that can be chewed on for a while. The key teaching of Jesus throughout the New Testament is reconciliation, us to God and us to one another. And with that statement, we'll wrap up for today. Thank you, George. If you want to go back and review some of the concepts that we've already covered, we encourage you to go to whatwebelieveandwhy.com, where you can get your own copy of the book. Once again, that's whatwebelieveandwhy.com. And we hope you'll join us next time for another edition of What We Believe and Why.